Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. back to, gosh, it must be six, seven years ago, there was a pop song came out. Now, I don't know if any of you remember this or have heard of this song. It was called Real Love by Jess Glynn and Clean Bandit. I think we've got a picture of Jess Glynn playing, singing. Um, it came out about six or seven years ago. Do any remember that song? Yes, we've got some people remember that song. It was very popular. Uh, it used to be on the radio all the time. You know, one of those songs, you turn on the radio, it's on again. And I'll be, I'll be, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, I, I mean, I'm not sure I should subject you to that, really. Uh, but um, I remember listening to it all the time when I was coming home from work, going to work. And I'll be honest, whenever it came on the radio, and I'm sitting in the car on my own, so nobody minds. Whenever it came on the radio, I couldn't help but sing it along to it. And I was, I was singing along to it. I was belting it out in the car. You, know, you probably could hear me outside the car. And it's just because it was such a catchy song, such a catchy, catchy. And the reason I think it was catchy was the tune was quite catchy. And also the lyrics, the lyrics are pretty much the same the whole way through the song. I mean, they're incredibly unadventurous lyrics. Basically, the lyrics is, this is real, 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 about 20 reels, love. You give me that feeling. You give me that feeling. You give me that feeling. Lots of uh oh, 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 oh's, then this is real, 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 real love. You give me that feeling. And you just repeat that like, you know, 50 times, and that's essentially the song. So I'd be belting this out in the car while, we're, while I was coming back, back from work and going to work. And, but as I sang along to it, I, I started actually listening to the lyrics, you know, real love, you give me that feeling, you give me that feeling. I started listening to the lyrics rather than just singing them. Have you ever had that where you kind of sing lyrics and then you realize, oh, what am I singing here? So I started listening, listening to the lyrics and I realized, well, this song is pretty much saying love is just a feeling. That's pretty much it. Love is just a feeling. And, and you know, like that, that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you start going out with someone. That, that's what this song was saying. Love is just that feeling you know, at the start of a relationship. And, and that's it. And I remember kind of thinking in the car as I was, you know, belting the song out, thinking, no. That's not all that love is. You know, love is, is much more than that. It's much deeper. It's much stronger. It's much more longer lasting than just a feeling that can kind of come and go. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about love. And, you know, you kind of think this has worked really well with it being Mother's Day. Um, but we, I honestly didn't plan this at all. It's such a coincidence that we're talking about love on Mother's Day. But it's quite fitting. Now, the passage we're going to look at this morning, unsurprisingly, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, also known as the love passage, because basically it's the Bible passage that's always preached at, at weddings. Uh, it's just, it's the love is patient, love is kind, it's that one, and you're, you always hear it at weddings. Uh, this passage, not surprisingly, the Apostle Paul basically explains what love is. It's the number one place to go to if you want to know what love is in the Bible. Now, this is an incredibly profound passage of scripture. 20th century theologian Adolf Harnack says this. He says, 1 Corinthians 13 is the greatest, strongest, deepest thing Paul ever wrote. Now, that is a big statement because Paul wrote a lot of big and deep and amazing things in the Bible. 
Um, but that's what he says. Now, normally, as I said, the only time you hear this passage preached on is at weddings. You don't often hear it preached on normal Sunday services. And the reason it's often preached at weddings, as I said, is because it's about love. And that's what people are celebrating at weddings. But what a lot of people miss is that this passage talks about love within the context of spiritual gifts. See, Paul is saying, I want love to be your motivation in the use of your spiritual gifts. And that's the, it's in that context that he explains what love is. So we're going to read the passage, but just before we do, just two things to say before we get into the passage, all right? The first is, I just want to talk about the meaning of the word love. Now, you may, you may have heard a little bit of this before, but bear with me. Now, there's only one word for love in English. Do you know what it's called? Love. love. Yes, love is the only word in English. That's, that's it. Um, but, obviously, uh, Paul, who wrote Corinthians, wasn't writing English. He was writing in Greek. And Greek is a number of different words for different types of love. There's eros, which is where you get the word erotic from, and that refers to romantic or sexual love. There's filio, which is friendship love. That's the kind of love good friends have for each other. Then there's storge, which is the love we have for our family members. But Paul doesn't use any of these words, and neither do most of the writers of the New Testament. Instead, they use a word that they may, we think they may have invented themselves, actually, It certainly doesn't appear in earlier Greek literature. And the word is the word agape. You may have heard of it before. Agape is unconditional love. It's love with no ties. It's it's love that is given as a free gift, not because the person deserves it, but because the lover just chooses to give it. That's agape. It's It's a decision of the will to act in the other person's interests, whether we feel like doing it or not. It's getting down at the supper table and washing your disciples' feet. It's being willing to lay down your life to save people who don't even care about you. It's the way God loves us. That's agape love. And it's the way God calls us to act towards others as well. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, agape love. Now, the second thing to remember before we hit the passage is is who this letter was written to. So Corinth, it was written to the Corinthians in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a city in ancient Greek, which was famous throughout the world for its sexual immorality. Okay, so like maybe the modern day equivalent would be like Amsterdam. You read like this. It's that kind of a thing. Everybody knew Corinth, sexual immorality. That's what happens there. Okay, and it was also a place with lots of religions. Uh, And all these religions were very much into like, religious experiences, like ecstatic kind of religious experiences and spiritual highs. They were all very much into that. And because the Corinthian believers were from this background, the Corinthian Christians loved dramatic spiritual experiences, which is why they loved supernatural gifts like speaking in tongues and miracles and healings. From their background, they were just all on for that. Like, yes, this is us. But they were pretty self-indulgent about them. They were kind of using them for themselves to kind of look good. And, you know, and, and Paul had a suspicion, which is why he wrote this, that sometimes there wasn't a lot of love in the way they were using these gifts. So in last week's passage, if you were here, uh, I think Tom preached on this, Paul reminded the Corinthians that the church is like a body, the body of Christ. Each part has an essential part to play in the life of the body. So it is with the church. Each of us has been given spiritual gifts, 
but we're to use them in love to build up the whole body of Christ. Not just to show off or to chase after spiritual highs or all that. No, we're to use them in love to serve the body. So that's the context around this passage. Love being our motivation in using our spiritual gifts. So let's read the passage together. You may want to follow in your Bibles. It will appear on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, Corinth, uh, another thing about Corinth was it was famous at that time for its bronze, made a lot of bronze, which is what gongs would have been made of. And the Corinthians would have also been very familiar with gongs and cymbals because they were used to, because these, these instruments were used to worship the local gods of Dionysius and Sybil. So Paul's using stuff they know about to make his point. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a gong being hit, you know, like right next to your ear. If you've ever had, it's sore. I mean, those things are, loud, especially the big ones. You get a big stick up, boom, and the sound goes, lasts for, reverberates for ages. Everything shakes, you know? Produces, a gong produces a really loud, loud sound. There's plenty of noise when a gong's hit but nothing more, okay? There's plenty of noise when a gong is hit, but nothing more. And the same is true for a clanging cymbal. It, it produces a sound, but there's no melody. Like, it's just noise. There's no melody, it's just noise. And Paul is saying the same is true when we speak in tongues or when we speak normally. Without love, it's just noise. You know, we all know what it's like when you know, people speak to us and the motivation isn't love, you know, you can sense it, can't you? And you know what happens? You don't want to listen to them. You know, no matter how good it is what they're saying, if, they're, if, if you can sense the motivation is not love, you're like, I just, I'm not taking that. See, words without love is just noise. Words without love is just noise. Verse two continues. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, the Corinthians clearly thought if you had these super gifts, you were really important. But Paul says, even if you do have these gifts and you're brilliant at them, but lack love, not only are they not very important, but they're actually nothing. They're worthless, completely worthless. I don't know if you've ever seen, have you ever seen someone using their gifts, but in a, in a self-centered way rather than out of love? You know, you don't really want to listen to them or follow them, do you? It's, it, it kind of negates their, their gift, doesn't it? I, I remember my old church, there was a, there was a guy who, who used to kind of host the meetings and um, you could just tell he loved being at the front. You know, you could just tell he loved everyone seeing him. And it was so off-putting. Like, you just couldn't listen to him. You, know, you just sensed there was, it wasn't motivated by love. I remember um, being at a, a youth uh, camp uh, a number of years ago. And there was a guy there, and a um, lovely guy. He was a speaker at the youth camp. And bless him, you know, it wasn't the greatest of speakers, all right? But he was a lovely guy. And he spent so much time during the week with the young people, hanging out with them, showing them love and being there. So much so that even though, you know, he wasn't the greatest of speakers, once he stood up in front of people, people knew that he loved them. He knew there was a motivation of love. And they listened. They really listened to this guy. Love being a motivation is so important. 
Verse 3 continues, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's a pretty strong statement. Now, in the 12th century, uh, a very wealthy young man, a wealthy young guy called Francesco Bernardone, who would later become St. Francis of Assisi, he had an encounter with God. And as a result of this encounter with God, he gave away everything he owned to the poor and then lived a life of poverty, going around sharing Jesus with people. Now, we can hear that and think, wow, what a guy. I mean, that is, that is impressive. But you know, Paul is saying here, you could do that and not actually do it out of love. You could do it out of self-righteousness or you could do it to make yourself feel good about yourself or feel like better than other people. They'll be like, oh, look at me. I've given away all my stuff. Look at you, half-hearted Christian over that. You know, you could, you could do that out of that motivation. And Paul says, if you do that, if you give everything away without love, you gain nothing, absolutely nothing. This is how important love is, Paul says. And then we get to verse four. This is the, the bit you've probably all heard, you know, spoken about at a wedding. Love is patient. And the Greek word here for patient actually means the opposite of short-tempered. Love is kind. It does not envy. It's not jealous or displeased at the success of others. It does not boast. It is not proud. Verse five, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Verse six, love does not delight in evil. It doesn't take pleasure in the misfortunes of others, but rather it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Then verse eight, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, which is true, isn't it? If you think about it, prophecy, what is prophecy? Prophecy is is hearing what God says, and sharing it to his people. But when we reach eternity and stand before God, there's not going to be any more need for prophecy, is there? Because God will be right there. You know, he's right there. You can talk to him yourself. You don't need a prophet anymore. So prophecies will cease. Then where there are tongues, they will be still same thing. No need for the revelation that tongues bring when we're standing before God. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away too. Same thing. Then verse 9, for we know in part. Now, every research laboratory in the world can testify to the fact that we only know in part. I mean, we don't know everything. And it it seems that the more we do know, the more we realize how much we don't know. You know, the more you learn, the more you realize how much there is to learn. Knowing in part is the reality of our life in this world. And part of that is that we prophesy in part also. Now, I don't know if you've ever found that when, you know, God gives you maybe a picture or a word, he often doesn't reveal everything about it, but often he only gives a partial glimpse of the truth. But, verse 10, when completeness, Campbell says, what is in part disappears. And then to illustrate this point, Paul then says, verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Sounds a bit like a tongue twister there. It's quite hard to say quite fast, you know, talk that. that. But basically what he's saying here is there was a time when my talking, my thinking, my reasoning were done partially, like at a childish level. 
But now he says, I've put that behind me and I now operate fully at the adult level. And he's saying that the time of completeness when we see things clearly will come for us too when the Lord returns and we go to be with him in that restored new creation. But Paul says, we're not there yet. Verse 12, for now we see only a reflection, only as a reflection as in a mirror. Now mirrors, uh, mirrors in the first century weren't made of glass, uh, but they were made of polished metal. And Corinth was actually famous for its mirrors as well as its bronze. But few Christians back then would have been able to afford a good quality mirror because they were very expensive to get the really good ones. So most mirrors they had, you, you know, they weren't totally clear. You'd kind of see a reflection, but it wasn't, wasn't totally clear. It was dim. It was kind of, um, the reflection wouldn't have been clear. And, and as a result, the Greek word Paul uses here for seeing dimly in the mirror, seeing the reflection in the mirror, is the word en enigmati, which, which basically means dimly, or more accurately, it means that we see in a riddle, and it's where we get the word enigma from. We see in a way that's not totally clear, yeah? And that's what Paul's saying here. Uh, he's saying, what he's saying is when we live out our lives in this earth, our sight of things eternal isn't completely clear, but one day it will be. And then Paul says, one day we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these, thing, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What a fantastic passage. Amen? Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic passage. I think I agree with that guy at the start. Like, it is profound stuff. This is one of the, the deepest things Paul has, has ever written. But question, you know, it's nice to read that, and it's nice to understand what love is. But what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with this kind of passage? What do we go away with? Do we just kind of read and go, yeah, great. What do we do? And I, I just want to share two things I, I, I want us to, to do off the back of reading this passage this morning. The first is I want us to experience God's love. And the second is I want us to love others, really. Simple. That's my two points. Yep. I used to be a three-point guy. Now I have cut it down. I'm a new man. I'm down to two points, all right? And they're really easy to remember. Experience God's love, love others, okay? So first point, experience God's love. See, the love described here in this passage is what God's love looks like, really. And when we read this, and we can read this, you know, and think, "Ah, I can't love like that. Well, we're absolutely right, because only God can love like that. You see, God doesn't love us for what he can get from us. He loves us simply for who we are. And you know, all of us deep down, whether we admit it or not, all of us deep down in our souls have an insatiable desire to be loved like that. The problem is we try and get in all the wrong places. You know, we try to get that love from boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives. But the reality is no human being can love us that completely. No human being can love us like that. That love can only be experienced by coming to God himself. And the Bible is full of times when God talks about how much he loves us. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, God, God says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. I mean, just let those words sink in. That's what God says. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Aren't they beautiful words? That's what God says over us. 
God loves us. And you know, God's, God's a big believer in the phrase, actions speak louder than words. You know, he doesn't just say, oh, I love you. Oh, not nice. Which is why thousands of years ago, he thought, I'm not just going to tell people I love them. I'm going to show them I love them. I'm going to do this thing that they're constantly going to be able to look back on and be like, yeah, that's how much I love them. So he sent his son into the world. And not surprisingly, in, in Jesus' time on earth, he completely personified all the characteristics in the passage we just read. I mean, just look at his incredible patience with the disciples when they kept missing the point and not getting it. I mean, wouldn't, sometimes you read about the disciples, you think, I'd have got so frustrated with these guys. They just kept not getting it. But Jesus was patient with them. You know, look at, the, look at the kind of tender way he treated the woman at the well and the woman with the blood problem who touched his cloak. So tender. And he was never envious of others. He was content in himself, so much so that when the devil tempted him, he resisted. He didn't boast. I mean, how many times did he do miracles and then tell people, don't tell anybody about this? He wasn't dishonoring or, or self-seeking. I mean, if you think about it, the whole reason he came to this world was to do the will of his father, and neither was he easily angered. Look at how he kept so calm when the soldiers ridiculed him and beat him. See, Jesus completely personified all the characteristics of love. And then because of his love for us, he laid down his life. And the reason he did that was to defeat the most serious degenerative illness that all of us have in our hearts. And that's our sin, which if left unchecked, slowly destroys us from the inside out. He came to free us from that and from its consequences. But you know, that freedom wasn't cheap. It was very expensive, not in money, but in blood. And when we truly hear God's words of love and when we see the actions that, that, that back them up and, and we allow that to penetrate our hearts, you know, we'll be like, yeah, I feel that. That's when we experience God's real love, that agape love. And when we experience that love and we keep experiencing that on a regular basis as we spend time with him, dwelling on what he has done, it changes us through the Holy Spirit and gradually become able to love others with the love described in that passage. Now the key in all this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that allows that love to penetrate our hearts and change us. So I want to suggest this morning that we... You know, we, we, we take some time, maybe in the worship time afterwards, we take some time to just ask the Holy Spirit to make God's love more real to you this morning, uh, to penetrate your heart in a new way, that you just be like, oh, yes, that is true. Yeah, he's done that for me. Yes, he really does love me, really does love me. When we experience God's love, the logical next thing to do is... Love others, yes. When we experience God's love, the logical next thing to do is love others, which is the second point. Now, I'd love you all to, to do something for me this week. When you get a moment sometime this week, I'd love you to go through the characteristics of love in this passage and think about which ones you find easier and which ones you find a bit more difficult. And think about areas in your life where you could, you could love by showing patience or love by being kinder or being less self-seeking and so on. And then, and then ask the Holy Spirit to help you in these areas. You know, you never know what might happen. You know, asking the Holy Spirit to help you love people. I mean, as Dr. Pepper said, what's the worst could happen with that prayer? I mean, really? 
Let's do that. Let's just read a passage sometime this week, like, I don't know, three, four verses, and just ask the Holy Spirit to help you with some of the stuff in there. Now, there is so much we could say about how to love others. There have been thousands and thousands of books written across history about how Christians should love other people, right? We don't have time to go into all of that. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to just focus in on just one of the ways of loving from this passage, which I think is particularly relevant for the day and age we live in. And that's not getting easily angered. Not getting easily angered. Now, I'm sure we all know we live in a society where everybody, especially if you're on social media, especially if you're on Twitter, that seems to be the real anger is. We live in a society where everyone seems to be getting angry or annoyed or offended at somebody or something. I mean, it's just like all the time. So actually, for us as believers to not get easily angered is probably one of the most countercultural things we can do in our society. You know, and, you know, bonus, it's incredibly Christ-like as well. So not getting easily annoyed or irritated or offended or angered. Yeah, it's one of the most countercultural things we can do in our society today. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, an old friend of Elizabeth and I uh, popped in as he, he just happened to be kind of going past our house. We don't get that often, people popping in, but he did. He just popped in and he had a cup of tea. And I only saw him briefly because I, I had to go out for a meeting. So I wasn't there long. But Elizabeth chatted to him in our living room for, for a bit longer. Um, and afterwards, she was like, yeah. I was like, oh, how was it? How was it meeting David? And she was like, yeah, it was all right. But um, like, he started telling me how he didn't think COVID was a thing. I was like, really? Like, yeah, he, he didn't think COVID was real. I was like, well, has he been vaccinated? Oh, yeah, he's been vaccinated, but he still he doesn't, doesn't think COVID's real. I was like, how did that, how did that work? Anyway, but, uh, but actually, it's really interesting. Elizabeth, you know, she was there, and, and she did very, very well in dealing with this guy. She was very patient and kind in how she talked to him and, and you know, challenged him in a kind way um, about that, when, honestly, it would have been so easy to be unkind and to mock and to laugh, to be honest, and also to get annoyed and even get angry. It would have been so easy to just go to all those emotions, but she did very well at being very kind and patient. If I do big my wife up here, you know, she did very well. At it. She wasn't easily angered in that moment. Now, that's a great way of dealing with things. And when things come that way, it's very important to try and not get easily angered and to be patient and kind in how we deal with people. But occasionally, things in church do annoy us or anger us. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, right? Occasionally, things do annoy or anger, anger us. And in those moments, you know, we don't want to be easily angered, but sometimes things do anger us and do annoy us, okay? And that's normal. And in those moments, it's important to deal with them in the right way. A few months ago, someone at church uh, made a, just a bit of a sarky comment to me, um, like an offhand comment. And you know one of those times when it, it goes away very quickly, but it hurts. You can just feel that little sting. Like, and you know they didn't mean much by it, but still it, it hurt, you know. And I remember that, and I think... Ugh. What do I do with this? And I thought, should I bring it up with a person? Should I go and talk to them? And, you know, I decided, you know what? I'm pretty sure they didn't mean them. I didn't mean it. I know them pretty well. Um, it wasn't a big thing. I'm not too bothered by it. I'm just going to let it slide. So I did. 
I just let it slide, forgot about it, didn't hold a grudge, kept no record of the wrong. I just, uh, you know, just, that's it, fine. And that was, that was fine, it was good. And sometimes when someone says something or does something, I'm like, ah. sometimes that's the course of action to take. Just say, can I just let this slide? Can I just forgive them quietly, leave it be, done, yeah? Great thing to do, loving thing to do. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this, but sometimes you can't let it slide, you know? Sometimes it's that thing, you're like, ah, I've tried, Lord, I've tried to let it slide, I've tried to forget about it, but I cannot forget about it. It is still bugging me, you know? Six weeks later, it is still bugging me, you know? And, and you know, a thing someone has just has hurt you, and, and you just can't forget about it. A few weeks ago, uh, someone came to me uh, and shared how an offhand comment I had said to them a few weeks previously had really hurt them. You know, I, I had no idea. I was like, I, I really didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean to hurt them. But they shared that it really hurt them. I can see why it did. Um, and I apologized to them. I said, I'm so sorry for, for what I said. And, and they accepted that. Uh, and that was good. And we were, we, were, we were all good. And it was a, it was a yeah, bit of an emotional moment. And uh, it was interesting. I was really impressed with that person for dealing with the issue in that way. And I said so. I said, look, wow, this is really good. The way you have dealt with this, so good the way you've dealt with this. You, you, you've, you've gone to the person in question and you've talked it through and you've resolved it. Rather than talking to 20 friends about what's happened or gossiping or anything like that, no, you've went and you've, you've dealt with it. You haven't held a grudge. You've sorted it out. And I, was, and I said to them, I said, look, if only everyone dealt with little gripes in church, that way, and the church would be a much better place. It really would. So let's show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ by not getting easily angered. And, you know, when we do, and there will be times when we do get angry or annoyed at something, let's try and let it slide. And if that doesn't work, let's, let's deal with it. Let's take it to the person. Let's sort it out. Let's sort it out. And that is an incredibly loving thing to do. Incredibly love, a really practical thing to show love in our body right now. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, oh, Andy, I'm, I'm glad you've got a few examples of not getting easily angered. I can't think of many in my life, to be honest. All the examples I can think of are times when I have got easily angered, when I have lost it and kind of snapped and be like, and kind of I feel bad about it afterwards and stuff. And you can feel a bit like, oh, God, you feel a bit disheartened, be like, oh, gosh, I'm long way to go in this. But I just want to say, we've got to remember, we're all works in progress on this. You know, nobody's a complete article. And it's not, it's, not a, it's not a question of where you're at on this. It's the question of where you're going. <laughs> Are you going in the right direction? Um, and, you know, none of us, this side of heaven, is going to be completely loving all the time. But as God works in us, gradually, hopefully, we grow in it. Now, Elizabeth uh, was telling me she's seen this in her life. I did ask permission to share this. Elizabeth's my wife. She's not here, so I can pretty much say what I want. But yeah, I know some people will report it back to her, so I've got to be careful. Um, but Elizabeth was saying recently, she was, she, we were chatting about this, and, and, and um, we both agreed. We, we both agreed that she is a lot more patient and a lot less easily angered now with our third child, Zoe, than she was five years ago with our first child, Max. Even though now she has a lot more pressures on her with three kids rather than one than she did with Max. She's a lot more patient, a lot less easily angered with me, with the kids, with everyone. And I said to her, I was like, Elizabeth, you're, this is good. You're all this. She said, yeah, I know. It is good, isn't it? Like, like I noticed it. She noticed it. And I was like, where does this come from? Have you been like 
praying for the Holy Spirit to move in your life? And she's like, well, yeah, I have, you know. Um, I do think it is actually a God thing. I do think the Holy Spirit, it was five years gradually working over life, over the, that time, and has, and has brought real change. So I just share that to encourage us that it's a process. It's probably happening right now in you. You know, and look at yourself in five years' time, and you think, you know what? You probably will be more patient and kind. We're works in progress. So let's not beat ourselves up about how we're not easily angry and how we're probably not loving. Let's remind ourselves of how we're loved and let that warm our hearts, you know, and remind us of, of how it's not primarily about what we do. It's primarily about what he has done. That's what it's all about. That's what brings the heart change. I, I came across this little quote this week just as I was doing, doing the sermon uh, stuff. And uh, I just want to share it just as we finish. It says this, love is that thing which if a church has it, it doesn't really need much else. And if it doesn't have it, whatever else it has doesn't really matter very much. And I think that is so true. That is the importance of love, just infiltrating everything we do in church.